I get pretty rough on the apostles sometimes. I think the last time I talked to you, I had a few choice things to say about them, which I figure when I get to heaven, they'll probably be waiting on me. (laughs) It won't be Peter at the gate. (laughs) It'll be James, John, but all the whole bunch saying, we've been waiting on you. And tonight I'm going to get rough on them again, but hopefully in a way that comes out good. John chapter 14 begins with a very famous statement that you can almost quote this by heart as much as you have studied it here. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now, when Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled, that's a pretty good indication that they had troubled hearts. And so he's having to tell them not to be troubled. In fact, the verses immediately before, he's informing Peter of the fact that Peter is going to deny him. And, of course, that can be a very troubling thing. It's like this evening did not get off to a good start as far as these guys are concerned. Now, remember, too, that these men have been together and with Jesus for about three years at least And so by now they should be giants of theology, uh, you would think, wouldn't you? But Jesus goes on and he says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Now, I like that because this lets me know that if there's something that we don't need to know or that we know that, that isn't true and we might have thought it was true, Jesus would go to the trouble to let us know. I like that. But he says, if it weren't so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Now, if I'd have been Jesus, I would have gone to prepare a place for myself. (laughs) Listen, after what he was through, I'd have said, oh, brother, I'm going to build myself a house. But he was the totally others-centered one, the servant-hearted one. And he says, I go to prepare a place for you. Isn't that wonderful? He didn't change, and he was a carpenter. He's been working a couple of thousand years. Man, what's it going to be like? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, Jesus makes a statement that triggers something in the apostles. I love this. And where I go, you know. And the way, you know. Thomas said to him, Duh. Isn't that in your Bible? Uh, uh, I think it should have been. <laughs> a couple of years ago, I videotaped a 16-hour session on the Gospels. And in just preparing for it, I was made aware once again how absolutely out of it the apostles were. We have the wrong view of them, folks. Right down to the end, it says, and the disciples didn't have a clue. (laughs) And so Thomas answers him and he says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. (laughs) And how can we know the way? Now, this is after three years of study with the master teacher. 
Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I love the fact that he didn't say, I am a way. I'm I'm a truth. I'm sort of a life, you know. He didn't say that at all. There are many who believe that, well, like all roads lead to Rome, so all religions lead to God. Unfortunately, Rome and God are not similar. And all religions do not. In fact, there's a tendency, as you well know, for them to deceive you. And Jesus leaves no room for any Discussion. He leaves no room for any alternatives. He does not, and if here's a $50 word, equivocate in this area at all. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. Now, they already knew that, see, because they had been with him as recorded in John chapter 10 when he was explaining to them that he's the good shepherd, uh, he's the door, he's the gate. He's the only way you come in and go out. And he explains even in that same passage, I and the Father are one. They had been with him when he said that. They should know this. Have you ever had to go through a class more than once with the Lord? Okay. You are indeed apostolic. And so Jesus makes no bones about it as we say. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then just to make sure that they understand the exclusiveness, he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. No one. Uh, How much room does that leave? How many other roads does this permit? Oh, I've had people even say to me, well, why do you demand that we come through Jesus? Hmm? (laughs) Maybe there are other ways, they will say. Maybe there are other doors. I mean, uh, it's a big world out there. Now, folks, logically, that's similar to say, from my saying to someone, look, here are the keys to a brand new Rolls Royce. It's free. It's yours. Take it. And they said, maybe there are other Rolls Royces. (laughs) Why should I take your Rolls Royce? You never know. There might be someone else. You know what I'm thinking? There's, There's something illogical going on here. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he says, if you had known me you would have known my father also. And listen to this. From now on, like they hadn't had the chance to learn this before, they had, but they hadn't, just like me. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Duh. 
There are several places we need to put duh in the Bible. Philip says to him, duh, Lord, um, show us the Father. And it's sufficient for us. Show us God and that'll be enough. (laughs) Of course it would be enough. But at this point, (laughs) Jesus gets a little frustrated. Have I been with you so long? And yet you have not known me, Philip? (laughs) He who has seen me has seen the Father, so how can you say, show us the Father? I can hear Philip going, well, it was really easy. I I just kind of said it. (laughs) How long have you been in this class and you hadn't figured out I'm the professor? I love it. And Jesus is frustrated here. <laughs> How can you say this? <laughs> later on, <laughs> later on in this same chapter, these guys ask him, um, why are you revealing this to us and not to other people? And if I'd have been Jesus, I would have said, I've been wondering that myself. I, uh, But basically, he boils it down to the fact that you love me. Now, this amazes me, and I am so grateful for this, because in John chapter 21, we discover that that qualifying moment, that graduation moment for Peter was, do you love me? If you do, feed my sheep. He didn't even ask them, do you have your act together? No. Do you understand what I've been teaching you? Uh-uh. <laughs> Don't have a clue. Okay, uh, let me see. What else could I ask for? Do you love me? Uh-huh. All right. <laughs> I'll go with that. <laughs> I'll take it. He even said, really, to Peter, even if you just like me, I'll settle for like, Okay. <laughs> But I want you to see, because the real clear message here isn't the apostles and their inadequacy. If I had been Jesus, really, I I would have fired them all. I would have. I I would have thought, you know, I gave you guys a chance. I mean, three years, and you still don't even know me. But the fact that he didn't places a profound gratitude in my heart because it means there's a chance for me to. The Lord has had every reason in the world to fire me in every sense of the word. (laughs) But He hasn't. And perhaps in your life, too, you've had that opportunity to be dismissed from the kingdom. But look at this. I believe that he kept those apostles because it was his greatest possible show of grace. (laughs) That if he can work with them and even call them apostles, not be-apostles, remember, this is the apostles, the first team. 
then every one of us should hold our heads high with hope and faith, knowing that oh, He can work with me too. Man. Now, these key phrases in here, in Jesus' response to him, I hope you see that he's trying to move these men toward the exclusivity of who he is. And when the apostles are asking, show us God, and that will be enough for us, Jesus is saying, Tadam. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. As in John 10, he says, I and the Father are one. So he should be enough. There were plenty of clues to give them some idea of this exclusivity of Jesus had they bothered. But in a way, they didn't bother. Now, Jesus warned about this inexclusivity. He warned about the flitting around and playing with other possibilities. And he does so in the 24th chapter of Matthew, verses 23 and 24. You know, maybe in some sense I might be taking it slightly out of its timeline, but it's still adequate and appropriate. He says, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there. Do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Oh, there are many who will try to seduce us into oh, Christ principles or, or inner strengths that you can get out or discover the God in yourself. One of the problems I have with introspection is the more I journey around inside me, the less hopeful I am that I'll ever make it. But the beautiful thing about Jesus is He is the great redeeming, totally other. And He looks at me and holds His nose and says, I love you. <laughs> but there will be plenty of people who will try to tell you that, oh, He is out here. Now, now there are ways, different ways that they do it. Sometimes we do it with denominations. Now, I'm not opposed to denominations per se, but only when they build walls of exclusivity that says, you want to make it to Christ? Only if my hands are laid on you. Only if you have this certain set of unique and specific beliefs that we have. Only if I dunked you in my water or something of that nature. And what they're saying is, it isn't Jesus, but it's us. And that becomes a false Christ kind of position. Sometimes it's in programs. Sometimes it's in particular gurus or teachers who will say, Oh, I will lead you into understandings and depths that you've never had before and help you to discover the reality of all that you could ever possibly be in everywhere in the world. <laughs> and people who hunger... Go for that. You see, there is a hunger in the heart of all humanity. And I'm kind of making fun of this, and I sort of apologize for that, except to say it breaks my heart because I know that they will seduce people out there, and they seduce hungry people. See, you never are seduced if you're not hungry. You can have the best smell in the world out there, but if you're not hungry, it doesn't take you. But if you're hungry, see, if you want to be in touch with something other than yourself, something that might be divine, and there are those out there who will say, Hey, <laughs> I am a way. 
Hey, truth. Hey, what? And people go for it. It was a Britisher doing a rather somewhat informal documentary for TV that did such an excellent job of going into Sedona, Arizona, which is a New Age center, as you know, and just walking with some of the people who were heavy into the power of those vortexes and rocks and what have you there. And so he'd walk with them with his camera, and they would say, Now put your hands right here. What do you feel? Now he was an extremely candid guy, and he did this in ways that I wouldn't have been smart enough to do. But he just said, I feel cold. Could we go inside? I think I'm going to (laughs) freeze. You don't feel it? Well, I feel cold. Am I supposed to feel cold? The rocks are cold. I thought this was great. Just simple (laughs) being who he was and he was showing everything up. But you see, people even do that. Why? Because they hunger that maybe there's something in the rock. And, well, there is a rock in which there is something, but it's not Sedona's rock. It's the rock Christ Jesus, and it's exclusive. And if you can just get your hands up against Him, see, then you'll be okay. And there will be a lot of different things that will try to seduce you, all sorts of programs, drugs or seduction that somehow, you all remember the LSD things that went around and people were thinking, man, this really gets you in touch with God. And you knew it wasn't true, but some who were hungry went that route. It's heartbreaking because we know that there is no other name. Now, how many are left after no other name? Hmm. Well, the apostles had plenty of evidence. John chapter 1, you know how it begins. In the beginning was the Word. Now, we know that that is Jesus. And the Word was with God. Now, there there are groups out there who will use, they'll put an A in this next phrase, but it's not there. They will tell you, and the Word was a God. (laughs) And you go, wait a minute, that's not in the Bible, is it? Well, it's our Bible. Not in ours. No, 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 no. It says, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Uh, How much might all be? What's left after all? Not much, is it? All things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made. How much is left after nothing? was made without Him. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. This is exclusive, folks. The Bible does not say many things were made by Him. All things were made by Him. Hebrews chapter 1. I love how it puts it. The writer of Hebrews couldn't have been any clearer at the beginning here about who Jesus is. And you can't read this without coming to his theme that Jesus was a better way. And he says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. Whom he appointed heir of all things. Now, how many things might that be? How much is left after all? 
He's dividing it up. <laughs> okay, Jesus, you get everything. The rest of you can have whatever's left. <laughs> Pointed him heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Who, speaking of Jesus, being the brightness of his glory, in other words, the, the expression of all that he is, and the express image of his person. In other words, the exact likeness, not, not a similarity, not, boy, really favors God. You know, he does a few things that seem really God-like. But no, he is the exact representation, the express image of God. So if you want to know what God is like, who do you go to? Jesus. Folks, how are we doing on the exclusivity side so far? We don't have any words yet that permit us anything other than the exclusivity of who Jesus is. And upholding all things by the word of his power. Now, how many things might that be? Try that again. Thank you. When he had himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Now, John the Baptist understood this. He spoke of Jesus in the third chapter of John of having received the Spirit without measure. He got the whole shot. God did not just give him a little bit or enough, but He gave him absolutely everything he needed. In fact, he ends up saying the Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. How many things might that be? So far, this is exclusive, isn't it? Now, I'm taking you through this simply because you need to really see. You don't need to see it, but maybe I just need to say it over and over. Jesus really is enough. When the Father placed all things in Jesus' hands, that didn't leave anything else for someone else to have in His hand. It didn't say that God placed as much in Jesus' hands as he could probably have handled with the crew he had. But he placed all things in his hand. In the 13th chapter of John, Jesus makes that as clear as possible. He says, knowing that he had come from God and was returning to God, that all things were in His hands, that the Father had placed all things in His hands. How many things might that be? And what did He do when He expresses here and knows that I have all power, all things have been placed in my hands here? What shall I do with this? What if you had that kind of power? What if you walked in here just breathing power? Lightning bolts coming out of the ends of your fingers. Power. What would you do with it? Look what Jesus does. He gets up and he washes their feet. Amazing. It's the only kind of thing, this servant-hearted, other-centered thing, that you can do if you don't want your power to corrupt you.
Because otherwise, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said, All authority has been given me. And just so you'll understand, he says, In heaven and on earth. Now, what's left? Well, who knows where UFOs come from? Maybe they come from beyond heaven. So he says, go over therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Now, that lets me know that you don't pick and choose about what you want to share of Jesus' teachings. You don't say, I like this. But you know, this is a little rough over here. What he said to this guy, I don't know whether I want to teach this to anyone. But he says, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Now, he doesn't say, I need you guys to sit down and sort of mull this through your minds. And when you have come up with a pretty good evaluation of my ministry, and you can sort of let people know what it's really all about, write a few books and teach what you can think of. No. All things. I'm amazed, and sometimes this is this is missed in that incredible John chapter four meeting between Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. Now really she was quite a theologian. It's not everybody of her stature that can talk theology like she did. But she had one thing about her theology that was absolutely accurate. And in the midst of all of the life that she lived, one thing she knew that was true and exhibited that exclusivity was when she said, We know that when Messiah comes, He will teach us all things. And that's true. That's true. Well, Jesus says in John chapter 15, about verse 15, he says to the apostles, he says, I no longer call you servants, because a servant really doesn't know what his master's doing. He says, now I call you friends because I have told you everything. That the Father has given me. Now what's left after everything? Not much, is it? Now that's significant to us because I have known people, I've observed this kind of phenomenon where people, they didn't really know what the Bible had to say. They hadn't bothered to study it. But they want something new, some fresh revelation, some new word. Talk to me now, God. And God says, I'm talking to you then. And they want to go beyond Jesus. I've actually heard that. I've heard a speaker say, now that you know Jesus, that's great. I want to take you beyond Jesus. I I sat up and I said, wait a minute. There is no beyond Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4 says, he that descended, ascended, and filled all. The universe. All right, now, how much does that leave? 
So if you're going to take me beyond Jesus, where are we going to go? I have told you everything. I have filled all the universe. What is there left? There is only Jesus. But is he enough? Well, God said through the writer of Hebrews, he's exactly like me. When you've seen him, you've seen me. We'll call him Junior. He's a chip off the old block. You see, if you were to come to me and say, Hey, Gail, John D. Rockefeller is going to give you $10 million. And I say, Oh, really? And who are you? Well, my name's George. (laughs) Big deal. But if you were to say that, and I said, And who are you? And you said, John D. Rockefeller, Jr., you'd have my complete attention. So here comes Jesus, and he is exactly like the Father. We can call him Junior. And what he says is God's last word. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. There's just not much left after that. Mm. Well... In the 17th chapter of John, Jesus is praying a high priestly prayer. And he says to the Father, Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. All things. How many things are left after all? A lot of alls here. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, which, by the way, were all words. And they received them and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. (laughs) And finally, in the 21st chapter of John, you know, where Jesus is questioning Peter, and the third time he says, Do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know all things. He finally gets around to understanding that, Lord, you really know all things. You know that I like you. And then Jesus says, well, I'll settle for that, even if you just like me. Feed my sheep. The early church understood in the fourth chapter of Acts when the apostles had been roundly uh, threatened by the chief priest and those in charge of the temple after they had healed the man at the gate beautiful and they come back and just blab the whole thing to this baby church who could have been very worried and upset that now they're going to lose their building permits who knows what else might happen I might lose my job But I love the relationship they have with their Lord. They start right out. They knew the word. And they start right out quoting Psalms chapter 2. And they say that they said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Hey, that's quite a lot. How much is left after all? Now, if you know that this is what God has done, then you can rest in Him. What is there to worry about when you know 
I'm serving the one who made the whole thing. And so they ended up saying, because they knew God, you made all of this. You made that temple. You made the stones that are in it. Now look at these guys. Behold their threats. Listen to them. Now, God, here's what we want you to do. Reach forth your hand. (laughs) Now, if it were me, I know what I would say. Teach this chief priest a thing or two. Let him know you're God. Give him lockjaw and nausea at the same time. I'm sorry. Come back now. Don't, don't, don't. But they didn't say that. Reach forth your hand to heal. I love it. You can only do that when you know, hey, you're in charge, God. I can rest in you. You don't have to get even with anybody. Just love people and be who you are, God. You're so full of grace. Have you ever, have you ever been walking along a sidewalk and you see an ant? I don't know what it is about us. There's something in every one of us that... <laughs> we do it, don't we? And maybe that ant sees you coming. And he even takes an offensive posture. And you think, he's taking me off. You know what's going to happen, don't you? And God has that power to do that to us. And that early church knew it. But they also knew he who had created all things had also come to show exactly what God was like. And rather than come and splitch one person after another who had disobeyed him and sinned against him, he came to show all the love of the Father. God so loved the world that he gave the one most like him, his only begotten son. That whoever, now whoever, how many people does that take in? Who does that exclude? You see, there's such a clear demarcation here. It leaves no room for us to be in any way confused about him. Even goes to the extent to say in, in him there is no... Difference between Jew or Greek, but the Lord is rich toward them all. Ah, I love it. Well, in Colossians chapters 1 and 2, there's a beautiful expression of who Jesus is. In the very first chapter, Verses 18 and 19 says, He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. Now, how many things might that be? In other words, it's not that we do our things and add Jesus to it, or he is an important part of what we do. No, in all things he has the preeminence he is first and we find out lord who are you and how can we 
lift you up, and then we build whatever else we do around that statement. But it's the next statement in chapter 1 of Colossians, verse 19 says, For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness shall dwell. In other words, it pleased the Father to put everything He was in Jesus. Now, how much is left after all? Not much, is there? But just so you won't misunderstand, he goes on as Paul writes this in the second chapter of Colossians. And he says to us, for in him, this is verse 9, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And everything God is, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, places it in Jesus. And the whole fullness is there. Now what's left? Not much is there. So would you say that Jesus is a way to God? No. He says, I am the way. Would you say Jesus gives us a fairly good idea of what God is like, seemed to know an awful lot? No. He knew everything. And Jesus is enough. So when they said, show us the Father, there was no one left after Him to show. Well... There are certain benefits that come to us because of who he was. For one thing, he says, I will send, back in in John again, he says, I'll send you another helper, the helper of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things. Now, how many things might that be? And bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. This is wonderful. He's not, the Holy Spirit isn't out there doing his own thing and saying, well, now that Jesus has had a chance, it's my turn. But no, he says, I'm here because I want to represent Jesus and I want to make sure you remember his words because it's extremely important that you know him. (sighs) Ephesians (laughs) chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him... Who is able? Now, would you decide from what we've said so far that he is able? Uh, Are you thinking of any particular problems you might be struggling with at this point that you wonder if God is capable of dealing with them and wonder if he has the ability? Well, now to him who is able to do a pretty good amount, doesn't say that, does it? Well, probably more than anybody else doesn't say that either. Enough to mean for the situation doesn't even say that either. God's generosity gets carried away. And it says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, how much might that be? (laughs) Abundantly, how much might that be? Above, you see, it isn't just exceedingly abundantly, but it's above all that we might ask or think. Now, folks, I'm a good asker or thinker, to be honest with you. I can think of a lot of stuff. We're spoiled rotten in this society. We have everything we need, dear me. We don't have to worry about whether the grocery stores will have food for us or whether we can find clothing. You seem to have found clothing quite well. And at least up here, we're well fed. But you know, when you live in a land with this much, 
You always are thinking of more. See, if you were living in some lands, you would just think, oh, boy, if I just had a place to sleep or if I just had one piece of clothes that didn't have holes in it, you might think, oh, boy, I would just be so happy if I could just get a bicycle. We don't even think in those terms, do we? Nah, man, that's old stuff. We think much more exceedingly, abundantly. I, I think of exceeding and abundant things, and God says... Well, you ain't seen nothing yet, Gail. I'm able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think according to the power that works in us. Well, what is that power? To him, the next verse says, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations. Now, how many generations are left after all? Do you see this? Maybe you haven't noticed how many alls are there. But I'm telling you this because I want you to have so clear in your mind, in case anyone even ever asks you, but so your heart can also be fully at rest, Jesus is enough. Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, <laughs> I love this. For all the promises of God in Him are yes. Not, well, maybe... Oh, yes, some yes, some no. Well, you know, the odds are better with Jesus. No, 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 no. For all the promises of God in Him are yes. How many promises? How many are left after all? So you don't go to someone else hunting the promises to be fulfilled. They are completely fulfilled in Jesus. All of them. To the glory of God through us. But just so you can see the effect and benefit of it, we got to go back to Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus said, Come to me. How many of you? How many? All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, we know now He has the capability of doing it. We can see the incredible exclusivity and allness of Him. And when He says, come to me, all, He has room for all, and He will be able to give us rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love it. Revelation, finally. Chapter 21, verse 5. Not really finally. I've got one more verse to share with you after this that I deeply love. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Now, do you think he who sat on the throne can do it? Do you think that if he made this universe that he can remake it? Do you think that if he made you, he can remake you? Is there anything about you and your life that he cannot handle? Is there any problem you have that he says, Man, that's a new one for me. I don't know. <laughs> Do 
In fact, just so he'll know you can handle it, he, the Bible informs us in Hebrews that he was tempted in all points. Now, how many points is that? Any of you like to tell us what your temptations were today? No. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? What an incredible revelation. But just so you know that he's in touch with where you are, the Bible lets us know another incredible awe. Well, and he says, right, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. (laughs) How much territory does that cover? I love it. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts, not freely to him who deserves it or who has earned it or even who showed up at the right time, but him who thirsts. I love it. And he who overcomes shall inherit all things. How many things might that be? And I will be his God and he will be my son. Mm. I came to this conclusion from my own life many, many years ago. And perhaps that's been true of some of you too, maybe most of you. There may be some of you here who, for your walk with the Lord, you are new and these are new discoveries. And you may still be working through certain philosophical areas, just how complete is He? One of the things that I have found is the more I look at Him, the more I love Him. And since that's true, I like to look at him a lot. Uh, I'm a married man. I have, my wife and I have four children and, as you know, nine, the nine finest grandchildren in the universe. (laughs) Do you suppose we have any photographs of them handy? Would you be willing for me to show a few of them to you if you have a few hours? Of course you would. But I love to stare at them because they're mine. And I love to stare at Jesus. And I think he loves to stare at us because he's mine, he's ours, and you're his. But there was a moment that happened in history that... I'm fascinated by because Jesus is standing before Pilate and he's being tried, actually. And the prosecution holds all the cards. Jesus has no defense. He stands silently before them as one after another. They come up with accusations, facts so many that their their stories all get confused. But everything Pilate heard about Jesus was negative. No one came to his defense. No one. Not one shred of positive evidence came before Pilate. He listens and he only listens to the prosecution. And then he comes to a conclusion. And it's a moment where In eternity, a politician 
and a judge actually comes to a right conclusion. But like many others, he ends up still doing the wrong thing. But Pilate's conclusion is also the conclusion of Gail Irwin, and it's probably your conclusion too. In John chapter 18, verse 38, Pilate said to Jesus, hmm, What is truth? And when he said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find in him no fault at all. That's my conclusion too. And I have discovered that he who created this universe and he created me did the most incredible thing. He decided to love me and live in me. Unbelievable. And now I can understand why Paul lets us know in Colossians, you are now complete in him. Why? Because Jesus is enough. Show us God and that'll be enough. All right. Ta-da. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. Show us the way and we'll know what to do. I am the way, the truth, the life. Well, tell us something more. I have told you everything that the Father has given me. What is there left? Nothing. What then do we have in Jesus? Everything. How many roads are there to Rome? Many. How many roads are there to God? One. Jesus. In Him was the fullness. So, let us preach Christ. There aren't any other options. I don't want any other options. Lord, thank you that you didn't confuse us. Thank you that you didn't come with a thousand options and just... You said, no, you're on your own. Good luck. But you said, here's the way. And because you loved us and understood our little childlike minds and hearts, you were willing to walk with us and keep us on the road and point us to your Son. Thank you. Oh, Lord, I'm so glad that Jesus didn't weaken in any of this, but he kept the reality of who he was before us. Lord, I'm so glad he didn't fire the apostles. Oh, I'm so glad. And now, Lord, I'm just delighted to say with Pilate, I find in him no fault at all. Thank you. Oh, I thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.